This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And we are extremely excited today because for the first time, well, actually for the second time because you had Ryan on last week. That's right. Uh, we are actually here with people who know what they were talking about. <laughs> uh, we have a select group of our friends in the field of paleontology who've decided to join us tonight. Gentlemen, I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves. Uh, go ahead and take it away. All right. Uh, my name is Kai Button. I'm a PhD candidate here at uh, NC State University in North Carolina. And um, my focus is on theropod dinosaurs. Uh, so those are dinosaurs including Velociraptor and T-Rex, but I'm specifically interested in the uh, dinosaurs that have beaks. Uh, my name is Haviv Avarhami. Uh, I just started my, uh, doing my master's at NC State University. Um, and I, I do my research on Cretaceous microfossils, so like dinosaur teeth. And uh, I'm st- I'm going to be studying uh, ornithischian evolution, so uh, primitive the, the primitive herbivorous dinosaurs. Awesome. Very cool. All right, and I'm Jens Kosch. I'm also a PhD candidate at NC State University, and I'm mostly doing research on the really big dinosaur sauropods. <laughs> awesome. And how they fed, their teeth, everything related to ecology. Nice. Wow, very cool. So uh, this this is this interests me a lot because I didn't know that there were. Um, so is is the study of things like beaks and teeth on dinosaurs is that kind of like a separate uh, school of study from maybe like uh, identifying bones and things like that? Um, I mean, you know, it's a specific focus uh, for like what 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 kind of like projects you can do. It's more narrow, but um, you know, if you I know, was to say. They call it a different field. I would say it was paleobiology rather than paleontology. Mm-hmm. Paleobiology okay. focuses on treating these animals as if they were living creatures and, and how did they interact with their environment and how did they uh, move and eat and things like that. But ultimately, this all forms the whole thing. You need, if you want to know about their locomotion, you look at their legs and at those bones. If you want to know how they fed, you look at the teeth and mm-hmm. beaks. Yeah. So when you say paleobiology and trying to treat them as if they were actual living things, uh, how close do you feel? I mean, I guess it's always kind of an unknown unknown, so we don't know 100% for sure, but how close do you feel that we have uh, an idea of what the environment that these creatures lived in during their specific time periods? How close do you think we actually like understand the, the plant life and kind of the uh, ecology of the world? It's pretty mm-hmm. tough. I mean, you know, we only have a tiny little window to look at to understand these animals, um, most of what was alive will never ever fossilize. Mm-hmm. And we only get to study a tiny fraction of what life existed on this planet. But unfortunately, paleontology, you know, for better or worse, is the only tool that we do have to get at that, uh, at that world as it existed. Until we develop time travel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. you know, we had um, y'all's, uh, your colleague, Ryan, on last week, and he was saying that the time frame that we have uh, to, of study of dinosaurs is like the blink of an eye. Like there, there is probably so much more out there that we're not studying, and we don't even know to study yet because there's so many more discoveries to be made. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, so. there's still so many places on Earth that have been untouched by paleontology due to like political regime changes and things like that. That um, in the future will hopefully open up. And I, I saw something the other day that just said an estimate. Wow, how you know, in the last 150 years, um, we've described what like 
nine, uh, I think 300 uh, dinosaur genera. Yeah, and about 2,000 species. Yeah, yeah, and there's still like 900, 700 to 900 genera still left that are estimated to be discovered. So good God. Well, gentlemen, I want to ask you about yourselves personally. Uh, I know that whenever we were, uh, we Kai reached out to us, and uh, what was it, the Pteranodon that we had talked about? I think right, we were yes. mis, yeah, we, we, we were, were we were misidentifying, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, I guess guys like Brady and I have pterodactyl hammered into our minds, yeah. so anything with wings that is a dinosaur <laughs> is immediately a pterodactyl, yeah, right? But, um, when you reached out to us, uh, we thought this would be a great opportunity to bring you guys on and talk about just kind of the educational aspect of what goes on with Jurassic Park. And, you know, uh, as we are just big kids ourselves, we're a- absolutely interested in, in dinosaurs and, you know, big, awesome looking beasts like this. But I kind of wanted to ask you guys, uh, what started your interest in dinosaurs? Was it uh, Jurassic Park? I think, Kai, didn't you say that Jurassic Park might have been your gateway into an interest in, in paleontology? Well, I think that it hit me at a very good time. So I was I was four years old when it came out. And so that's when kids are really into dinosaurs anyway. And so I think that it was a one-two punch. You know, kids love thinking of, of ferocious animals that really existed. And then here's this movie that brings them to life. And actually, from that point on, I, I promised myself, like, I will become a paleontologist. And then it, it happened for me. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, for me, uh, it was Ross from Friends. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, well, that was that was part of it. Jurassic Park had a lot to do with it too, but I really enjoyed watching uh, uh, Ross from Friends when I was younger. And then um, for me, it was a, a lot of the video games. There was a, a video game called Dino Crisis. Uh, yeah, I remember Dino Crisis. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and then another one that was called Jurassic Park Operation Genesis. And I really delved into those video games um, and uh, and the, the recent Telltale game that they did. Uh, and I think you guys had a Patreon episode on on that, the Jurassic Park video game that. Uh, those were things I really enjoyed when I was younger. So, Yeah, and for me, it was awesome. similar to Kai. It was a movie in this case. I was also three years old, but it was a Czechoslovakian, back then was Czechoslovakia, movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, Journey Through Time or something like that was its name. And I just saw them, those kids in that movie traveling down a river symbolizing time, going cool. through different periods, and... It just hit me. I, I knew that was what I wanted to yeah. do. I wow. I'm being paleontologist well, and I've that my whole life. <laughs> nice. What was, what did you say the name of that was? Journey Through Time. Okay. Yeah. Journey Through Time. Cool. We'll have to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's really cool when a piece of uh, art like that can, uh, can strike the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's an English release. They actually have opening and closing sequence added to it oh, okay. because they couldn't just have people from Czechoslovakia. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So they turned into, they found some English child act, American child actors that looked similar. Nice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and found some extra sequences. All right. Yeah. What, what, what you're describing actually sounds familiar to me. I think I might have seen that on Nickelodeon when I was younger. But, uh, you know, it's really cool that when um, you have a piece of art like this that really strikes something in your imagination, you can find people that, you know, like Br- Brady and I saw it and we liked it. But I think, uh, you know, 
our cognitive capacity was not so much that we wanted to go into the hard sciences, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. but, uh, but it definitely Jurassic Park was one of those early things that got us interested in film and movies and, you know, storytelling and stuff like that. Uh, but it's, I, I think it's so awesome when something like that, you can follow like a career track, you know, that it, it affected someone so much when they were young, you yeah, know, absolutely. I'm sure there's astronauts out there that saw Star Wars, you know, and were like, Oh, you know, I want to go up in, into space. And then we're disappointed when it wasn't all like, like <laughs> yeah. tie fighters and, and lightsabers and stuff. But you know, it is that one little thing that sparks the imagination but uh, all right gentlemen well we're going to go ahead and do the breakdown of this minute and uh, when we come out on the other side i have some questions for you guys about the dilophosaurus so here we go in the previous minute dennis nedry attempted to tie a winch line to a tree to get his jeep unstuck as the minute ended nedry came face to face with a dilophosaurus at 73 minutes nedry says nice dinosaur as the dilophosaurus raises its head at 73 minutes and 5 seconds, Nidru tells the Dilophosaurus that he thought it was just one of her big brothers. Nidri asks it what it wants and tells her that he has no food on him. At 73 minutes and 17 seconds, Nidri tells the Dilophosaurus to leave and asks it if it wants to play fetch. Nidri bends down and picks up a stick. He shakes the stick and calls the dinosaur stupid. At 73 minutes and 29 seconds, Nidri tosses the stick into the air. The Dilophosaurus turns its head to see where the stick went. After a few seconds, it loses interest and looks back once again at Nidri. Nidri tells it, no wonder you're extinct. At 73 minutes and 35 seconds, the Dilophosaurus looks at him quizzically. Nidri tells her that he's going to run her over when he comes back down. At 73 minutes and 39 seconds, Nidri turns around to walk towards his car using the winch line as a guide rope. At 73 minutes and 48 seconds, we again hear the call of the Dilophosaurus. Nidri sits and turns around. At 73 minutes and 50 seconds, we see that the Dilophosaurus has gotten much closer to Nedri. The Dilophosaurus stands higher. At 73 minutes and 55 seconds, the Dilophosaurus stands taller and lets out a roar as its frills pop out from the sides of its neck. A rattling sound can be heard. Nedri recoils in horror, and the Dilophosaurus spits venom onto his shirt. And thus ends minute 73 of Jurassic Park. Okay, so Nidri has just been introduced to the Dilophosaurus, and uh, it looks like things are getting pretty scary there at the end with the frills that pop up and everything. And this is primarily where my question comes from, and I kind of know the answer to this, but I think we can uh, take this and kind of run with it. Uh, We have no evidence that the Dilophosaurus had frills or was able to spit venom or anything like that, do we? Correct. That's a complete fabrication as far as we can tell. Although, the thing with things like soft tissue structures like frills, we wouldn't necessarily know for a fact whether it had it or not, because those things tend not to fossilize. Um, But the musculature that would be used to raise the frill um, would probably leave some evidence on the bone, and we don't see that. So they probably didn't have frills. Mm -hmm. Probably didn't have frills. And probably also didn't spit venom as well. (laughs) Yeah, so there's no way to know. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't fossilize. Yeah, there was something with one of those uh, was it Cenosauropteryx? Um, yeah, they thought it had like grooved teeth. Yeah, the yeah. kind of like a snake, mm-hmm. but that's a, still kind of a, it's a bit out there because, you know, our best analogs for dinosaurs are birds, and there is no venomous bird that exists. Mm-hmm. And so right. to hypothesize venom in these dinosaurs is kind of like, it's like hypothesizing mm-hmm. that, you know, the we didn't land on the moon. Like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a bit out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that uh, kind of speaks to Michael Crichton's ability as an author is uh, he kind of 
presents things as if they were real to the degree that like you feel smarter when when you're reading it like when i read the andromeda strain i was convinced that everything in there had actually happened oh. <laughs> you know like that he had stumbled across some uh, some documents or something so when he introduces something like uh i think the cop the Mimus, uh later on has venom that makes a uh, john hammond uh like uh would he he, he, he he's like experiences like uh, he likes tripping or something right. like that or, yeah yeah, yeah. So, uh, and uh, but he, he's able to throw in these little things like that that seem so cool as a reader or a viewer of the movie you can convince yourself like oh yeah maybe that was happening <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um the the dilophosaurus in real life was actually much different than the one that was presented yeah. in the movie oh, wasn't yeah. it mm-hmm. yeah can you guys tell us a little about some of those differences well, it was much bigger. That's the main one. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually would be bigger even than the raptors are in the movie. And that's one of the reasons I think they, they made it small so they wouldn't confuse it with the main bad yeah. guys, I guess. But it was the top predator of its day. So it lived in the early Jurassic period. It's actually one of the only dinosaurs in the movie that's from the Jurassic, which is kind of ironic. But yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Um, I mean, I've seen one in real life and it was almost 30 feet long. I mean, it's a pretty big animal. What? Wow, I had no idea it was uh, yeah. it was that big. That's crazy. Yeah, one of the Jeez. funny things is when they found the very first fossils of it, they were from juveniles, which were 80 percent grown. And they're so still huge. It's kind of a new, it's kind of a new marsh actually, yeah. making it smaller mm. than the adult animal would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. Um, no, it's like you were saying they might have changed it for the movie. I think um, another reason that it was probably brought down, say, in size uh, is to whenever we first see it, we find it adorable. Right. Yeah. And it's making its little hooting sounds and cocking mm-hmm. its head back and forth and everything. And then, um, you know, it's far from it. Yeah. And I think one of the most unnerving parts in the whole movie is when he's moved. Nidri has kind of like gone back up towards the car and turns around and the thing is, is right behind him. And we heard, you know, there was no, no trace of it coming up on us. Yeah. I love uh, that moment so yeah. much. Like, the look yeah. on his face, he realizes, oh, wait, this thing is dangerous to me. Like, I thought it wasn't a big deal, but, like, it means business. And he, you can see it in the actor's eyes. He immediately yeah. gets the realization, like, I need to be careful with this guy. You know? Well, we've, we've uh, talked before about how we think um, the best performance in the movie is Wayne Knight as Nidri. And... It's things like when he's reacting, his interaction with the dinosaur is very uh, humbling, I think, because oh, when he, yeah, he I mean, you can tell that he's out just um, basically do what? Uh, uh, treating that very nice. And here's the stick. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. He would break at one point. <laughs> this yeah. act of pacifying that you love us all. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, he, um, very, very nice. Yeah, there's a moment in the scene where he, uh, the Dilophosaurus kind of starts to raise up and you see that it starts breathing a little heavier and he says, oh, nice boy, nice boy. And his uh, timing to when it starts to raise up at him is it's such a good performance. Yeah. Um, you can tell that he's like actually in fear. And uh, I don't know, I really, every chance I get on the podcast, I try and hand it to uh, Wayne Knight for his, for his performance. And it's, this scene is just no exception. I, I feel that he is terrified. You know, uh, you were just saying that one of the reasons that they probably made it smaller than the Dilophosaurus, and, uh, you know, was because it would look adorable. Yeah. You know, and uh, Javi, you said that it was also smaller, uh, you know, uh, uh, or, or that they, you know, couldn't really do it to scale because it might look like a Velociraptor. I also was kind of watching this thinking like, you know, well, why didn't they make it a bigger, scarier looking dinosaur? Uh, it's a puppet. This is one of the full dinosaurs in the movie that is never presented in, in CGI. Yeah, that's 
true. And the puppet for it is so well animated. There's a moment when he throws the stick, like Ian's you were just talking about, he kind of like throws the stick in the distance, and that thing turns its head around mm-hmm. like 180 degrees to look at behind it, and then it goes right back to where it was yeah. before. I've never, I don't, can't, I can't remember a puppet that does something like that, you know, to that degree, and then still looks convincingly <laughs> real the whole time. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, I, so yeah, I, ha- I, I really have to give that uh, my hats off to for the puppet. I'm sorry, what was that? I heard that they used three different hats for the puppet. Like, oh, I, I, I absolutely believe it. because thrill, one with, with an actually mobile thrill, and one with the whole extended thrill, which actually what was, or was making this rattling sound, not the oh, sound nice. itself, but it made some sound and moved. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, speaking of the sound effects... Um... Gary Ridstrom was the uh, sound designer in the film, and he used a swan for the hooting sounds, mm. a hawk for whenever it was like, you know, really trying to intimidate him, and a rattlesnake for whenever the, the frills were going up. And apparently he made his uh, assistant go do the recording of the rattlesnake because he's afraid <laughs> of snakes. So I don't blame him. I guess he just could have gotten a bunch of baby rattlers and just like rattled yeah, those. Done that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Baby rattlesnakes don't have rattles, actually. They only develop those when they get poisoned. And I know this because I have gone hiking in the Grand Canyon and nearly stepped on one. Oh, but... oh my gosh. Jesus. <laughs> the rattlesnake actually uh, saved my own life by, by rattling at me. So. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't actually say about that. That went crazy. Um, so the Dilophosaurus is a very unique feature, which is these two crests on its head. Uh, did the Dilophosaurus actually have those in real life, or was that another fabrication for the movie? No, mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. Those are real. <clears throat> they looked a little different in shape, but yeah, that's where the name comes from. Di meaning two and loaf meaning crest. So it's a two-crested ah, lizard. Wow. That's just I did not know character. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What what are our uh, theories on the, the use for those? Do, you, do we think that maybe those were used for communication? Yeah, so there has been some work that looked at very few fossil samples we have, and mm-hmm. one of the ideas people had was that it might be related to sexual selection, like the males having very nice crests, and then they found out, nope, there's no difference that points to what that. Yeah, males and females both had crests in this species, and so it wasn't sexual selection, it's not like a peacock's tail. It might have been something to do with species recognition. So, you know, how do I know that you're a member of my species? Oh, we have the same crest shape. Mm-hmm. Um, some fascinating work done by a colleague of ours, yeah. uh, Bucky, Bucky Gates. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, was able to figure out that um, crests and bony structures arise in a lot of different animals, a lot of different dinosaurs, mm-hmm. but there's a pattern to it. So you only see bony structures like that in large-bodied animals. So Dilophosaurus is a very large animal. It has crests. Velociraptor, a very small animal, no crests. And once a species evolves a large bony crest, then their evolution goes crazy. It's, they're more likely to, uh, to become giants. Large, yeah. Large, yeah. To break past that threshold. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have another question for you guys about, uh, so in doing some research for this, I was, you know, I mean, just the menial stuff going through like Wikipedia and things like that. And I noticed that the Dilophosaurus's, um, I don't know if you would call it the beak or the snout was a little bit different. It had kind of like a curvature oh, to it. Yes. Which, so yeah, basically two bones making up the upper part of the jaw and premaxilla and the maxilla. And there is kind of an indent between those two and the real Dilophosaurus. And they changed that again. Part they changed for the movie. Mm-hmm. That thing isn't there. 
It's the frog genes. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what they claimed in the oh, game. Really? Oh, yeah. In the yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where you can yeah. find all these notes by uh, Dr. Laura Sorkin mm -hmm. in the game, and she mm -hmm. just all blames it on Vu. He's taking shortcuts. That's yeah, spicing. <laughs> I noticed. I noticed that in the uh, whenever we did it for our, the review for our Patreon episode, and um, she was definitely casting a lot of blame. <laughs> well, you know that's that 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 whole frog DNA thing is just like a perfect out for them too. Yeah. It's like use. It's like the use of the force in Star Wars. It's like oh, why did yeah. the lightsabers go so far? I don't Magic. know the force. It's like yeah, yeah, frog DNA. That's why it looks different. So. Um, but yeah, it's funny that they actually chose to go with the look they did in the movie because those skulls were so frightening looking <laughs> uh, with, with that little weird curve at the end. I was yeah. like, this would have been a, a very scary looking animal. Uh, do we have any, any theories out there on if the Dilophosaurus was covered in feathers or not? That's a tricky one. We've never found any skin from this animal, so we don't know what it was covered with. Um, but it is a theropod dinosaur and many theropod dinosaurs, including probably T-Rex. And including a, all that live today, birds or dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they all have feathers. So <laughs> there it's likely that it had some kind of feathers, maybe not like flight feathers, maybe but maybe proto feathers, a, a fuzz. Kind of like a fuzz yeah. stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, that whole theory about the evolution of uh, dinosaurs into birds, at the time when Jurassic Park had come out, that to me as a viewer... Uh, and I'm, actually, I'm sure all of us were so young that it kind of sounded like probably a new theory that we hadn't heard of at the time. Was that a well-established theory in the uh, in this in paleontology at that point that dinosaurs had evolved, as uh, birds had evolved from dinosaurs? It had been around for a long time. Actually, uh, Huxley, who was around during Darwin's time, thought of the idea, um, but it wasn't widely accepted until uh, it's in the 1980s, probably when they discovered Deinonychus. Um, John Ostrom discovered Deinonychus and described it as a fleet-footed, you know, hot-blooded animal. That's the one that the raptors are, are more based on. And right. they were so much more bird-like than they were like lizards. And so it was gaining acceptance at that time. And then right after the movie came out was the discovery of the first feathered dinosaur. And we're like, yeah, it's birds. It's really wow. funny that like at the time uh, when I when I read that, it kind of thought about dinosaurs covered in, in feathers. I thought, well, that's not very scary. I don't know if I want to accept that. Yeah. But yeah. then I started thinking uh, about like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I started thinking about like, uh, you know, uh, being around, I've been around close to like ostriches and stuff before. And those can get actually very frightening if you get close enough to them. Yeah, they are. You know, when, uh, when <laughs> disemboweled. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. When uh, Ryan was on last week, he was uh you know, going on and on about how that idea is actually quite terrifying. Yeah. And birds, if they want to mess you up, they can. Yeah. They have all, uh, you know, all they got to do to defend themselves is to go right up in the air and then come right back down on top of you with their talons. And he was also talking about how there's some, like, crows or something like that right now who are training wolves to go hunt their food for them. There's a communication that's developed between – have you heard of this? Yeah. Is oh, it's it ravens. ravens? Really? No, okay. I, this is new to me. All right, so he wasn't just pulling my leg. He was <laughs> no. All right. There's a symbiosis there, yeah. And yeah. they actually train humans too. Yes, I mean, that's they right. use, they, for example, they use cars to crack nuts. Oh, ah, really? Traffic lights to, oh, it's green, I can walk over and yeah. pick it yeah, up. My, my dad used to have a, a, a pet crow when he was in the kibbutz in Israel. And yeah. it, he'd send it off and it'd come back with a. With cigarettes for him. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm just waiting for the day that I wake up and it's like hitting the news like, well, guys, our time is up. You know, like uh, rhesus, rhesus monkeys have learned to use switchblades and this is yeah. something we're going to have to deal with. So. What's well, a fun, uh, fun point that you made, up, you made there is that, you know, people say this is our time. This is the time of mammals, right? Mammals are the dominant, you know, life forms on the planet. But I would argue that it's actually still a time of dinosaurs. Yeah, exactly. It because... never ended. It's 200 million years of continual... Dominance by dinosaurs. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. That, that all dinosaurs are extinct, but since birds 
actually are dinosaurs. It's not just descended from them, they actually are a type of dinosaur. And there are more species of birds by double than there are species of mammals. So they kind of win. <laughs> wow. Jesus. Yeah, we, we, we don't stand a chance no. there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, uh, <laughs> I think this is probably a pretty good place to wrap up this episode. Uh, we are going to have you guys around for tomorrow, which uh, I think is going to be even a little bit more freeform where we can just discuss uh, all sorts of stuff about dinosaurs. So uh, if, uh, if that's cool, I think we're just going to wrap things up and then we'll uh, you know, come back again tomorrow. Does that sound all right? All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Fantastic. Thanks, guys, and we'll see you tomorrow. And uh, I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And until next time, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute. You've been listening to a Pele Media Podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at patreon.com slash Media. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media, and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Media. Yeah.